Uh, well, good morning. It is great to be uh, here with you again uh, this morning uh, to open God's Word together. Uh, and uh, as Josh has just mentioned, as a, and as I'm sure you're all aware, uh, Christmas is close at hand. Uh, and so uh, we are starting uh, this short two-week series uh, in the lead-up to Christmas. Uh, and Christmas really is all about one thing, uh, which is uh, captured brilliantly uh, by the first lines of uh, one of the all-time famous carols uh, written by Charles Wesley, Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Uh, Christmas is all about the anointed king, it's all about Christ, it's, it's there in the name, Christ Mass. Uh, Christmas is all about the arrival of the king. Uh, And so, as we approach Christmas this year, we're going to be thinking about the kingdom of the King. Uh, What is the kingdom of heaven, uh, the the kingdom that Jesus came to establish, like? Uh, To help us to understand God's kingdom, uh, brought to bear on the world by the arrival of the King, Jesus, uh, we're going to be looking at a couple of parables, uh, stories that the king himself, Jesus, tells in Matthew's gospel uh, to illustrate the nature of his kingdom. Uh, The first parable that we'll be considering today was just read to us from Matthew 20. Uh, It's the parable of the workers in the vineyard. Uh, But before we get stuck into what Jesus has to say in this parable, uh, let's pray for his help to understand. So please do pray with me. Lord Jesus, we thank you uh, that you came to this world, uh, that you came as a man, uh, and that you did not uh, just come uh, to uh, perform miracles and great signs, but you came to teach. And so we pray that by your spirit, you would enlighten the eyes of our hearts so that we may see what you have to teach us this morning. Amen. Uh, now, there's, there's a good chance that you have heard this parable before, um, and if uh, you've got a Bible or the kind of service outline there with the, with the passage, it would be good to have that at hand as we work through it. Uh, so, th- th- there's a good chance you've heard this parable before. There's a man who owns a vineyard, uh, and we assume it's harvest time. Uh, so, he goes out to the marketplace at dawn, uh, the marketplace is where the day labourers would wait to be hired for the day, and he hires some men to harvest the grapes. Three hours later, around about nine o'clock, he goes out and finds other men looking for work, and he sends them to work in the vineyard as well. The same thing happens at midday and then at three in the afternoon, and finally he goes out at about five o'clock when there's only one hour left to work for the day, and he, he finds these men in the marketplace who haven't been hired all day, and so he sends them to work in his vineyard as well. Uh, when the end of the working day's, day comes and it's time for the men to receive their wages for the work, uh, the, the men who only worked an hour... Uh, to their surprise, I'm sure, uh, received a full day's wage, uh, a denarius. Uh, But the men who had worked for 12 straight hours, doing the lion's share of the work in the most trying conditions in the hot middle of the day, also received just a denarius. And they are quite unhappy with this situation, to say the least. Uh, And I think if we're being honest with ourselves... 
we completely understand where these men who have worked the whole day are coming from, don't we? We all believe in equal pay for equal work, right? The landowner seems to have completely thrown that rule aside. Can you imagine if this happened today and the trade unions heard about this? There'd been absolute uproar, marches in the streets, strikes. I mean, there's definitely some kind of breach of the Fair Work Act going on here. And not to mention, it's just a counterintuitive thing to do, isn't it? I mean, if everyone knows that they can get a full day's pay for only one hour of work from this landowner, then who on earth is going to show up at dawn tomorrow to work in his vineyard? If this is what the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of the King Jesus is like, uh, then it might seem at first reading this parable that the kingdom isn't particularly well run. Uh, But if we think these things, it's because we haven't understood how parables work. Uh, We've got to know the key to unlocking the meaning of a parable. And the key is the purpose that Jesus has in telling it. Uh, But before we get to how Jesus' purpose in telling this parable unlocks its meaning, uh, let me first make some comments uh, about another way that people often try to unlock the meaning of parables, uh, which isn't always helpful. Uh, Often when we come to a parable, our first instinct is to try to identify, uh, identify all the characters, places and events uh, with something in reality. Now, it's true that all Jesus' parables correspond with reality. They're there to teach us about the reality of his kingdom. And so we'll be able to make some broad identifications within a parable about who and what people and things are. Uh, to, to take an example, a very famous parable the, parable, the parable of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. Uh, we can identify uh, the father um, as... God in that parable and the prodigal son who runs away from his father uh, as sinful humanity. Uh, However, uh, we can also go much too far in in this process. Uh, For example, in our parable today, uh, some uh, commentators and people throughout history have have taken the identification game far too far. Uh, For example, some people have said that the landowner is God the Father and the foreman who then pays the workers is Jesus, trying to see some kind of Trinitarian theology in the parable, but it, it just doesn't fit. I think more commonly when we come to this parable, and you may have heard this before, we play the identification game something like this. The landowner is God, whether it's God the Father or Jesus, doesn't really matter. The vineyard is God's kingdom on earth. At the end of the day is the end of the world. That's, that's judgment day. The wages are eternal life. And the workers are Christians who have been brought into the kingdom. And, and so the message of this parable is that no matter how much work you do in God's kingdom, uh, whether you've been a Christian since you were uh, very young, uh, maybe worked as a minister or, or a missionary in some far-flung place, uh, sacrificing wealth and comfort to serve God, uh, or whether you become a Christian just days before your death, you will inherit eternal life. Uh, now, this is true. 
Anyone who calls on Jesus' name in repentance and faith will be saved, no matter what they have done or will do. All who trust in Jesus will inherit eternal life. But playing this identification game also causes some problems in this parable. If the workers are identified as Christians who have come to faith at different points and the evening is judgment day, then we're left with the problem of those Christians who have followed the Lord Jesus for a long time grumbling against God on the last day. Is this really what the kingdom of God will be like? Not only that, but while salvation to eternal life, the denarius, the the wage, is a gracious gift to the workers who come later, it seems here that the first workers, the long-term Christians, if you will, have earned eternal life. Look at verse 2 of chapter 20 with me. It says, he, the landowner, agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. When these workers receive their denarius, uh, it's exactly what they've earned. They're getting what they've earned. And if all we get out of this parable is that all Christians will receive eternal life, then then we've missed so much of what Jesus is trying to tell us. Uh, If this is all we get from Matthew 20, then we have missed just how brilliant and how challenging to us this parable of Jesus really is. You see, in order to properly understand a parable of Jesus, the real key to unlocking its meaning is that we've first got to understand the way in to the parable, the context in which it is spoken. In order to understand a parable, we need to know why Jesus told it in the first place. And we get a hint in verse 1 of chapter 20. It begins with, for the kingdom of heaven is like. See that? It begins with that one word, for. Jesus is telling this parable to address what has come directly before in Matthew 19. And that's why we read the last section of Matthew 19 today. So what does happen in Matthew 19? Well, once again, a fairly familiar story to many of us, I'm sure. There's a rich young man who comes to Jesus and he asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What what do I need to do to to get it, to earn eternal life? And Jesus replies, uh, keep the commandments, and then kind of lists off what those commandments are. Uh, the, The young man goes, well, I've done that, what else do I need to do? And Jesus says, sell everything you have, give to the poor and follow me. And the man walks away sad because he doesn't want to do that. And then Jesus says, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Uh, But now listen to Peter's words, listening to Jesus interacting with this rich young man in verse 27. Peter says, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. 
but many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early. So you see, why does Jesus tell this parable? It's in answer to Peter's question. Peter says, look Jesus, we have given up everything for you, me and the other disciples, what will be our reward? And so Jesus is And so Jesus says, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. And the point that Jesus is making is this. The kingdom of heaven doesn't work like you think it should. It isn't the same as an earthly kingdom. No, as Jesus himself says in John chapter 18, his kingdom is not of this world. In earthly kingdoms, you only get what you earn. If someone does better work or, or more work, then they receive a greater reward. That's, that's how economies work. But in the kingdom of heaven, uh, the kingdom of our Lord Jesus, reward is not distributed according to merit or effort or skill or results. In Jesus' kingdom, the reward is given according to his gracious kindness. Uh, So far, pretty similar to what we got from our first analysis of the parable. Uh, All who trust in Jesus will receive eternal life. Uh, But what about those grumbling men who worked the whole day and earned their denarius? Uh, Well, this parable of Jesus isn't simply an illustration of the good news uh, that salvation is offered freely, uh, graciously, as an undeserved gift from God. It's offered to all who trust in Jesus, regardless of their own merit. It's not just that, it's, it's is that, but it's also a gentle rebuke to Peter, who is still thinking in earthly terms like the rich young man. Have a look at chapter 19 with me to follow Peter's thought process. We begin in, in verse 16. This, this man comes to Jesus and says, what Good thing must I do to to get to earn eternal life? Well, what things do I need to do? Jesus responds and says, obey the commandments and, and lists them off. And the man in verse 20 says, all these I have kept. I've obeyed the commandments. Is there anything else that I need to do, Jesus? And so verse 21, Jesus says, well, Sell all your possessions, give away everything you have and follow me. Uh, The rich young man cannot do this because he loves his wealth and so he gives up on eternal life because he wants to keep his stuff. But now listen to Peter in verse 27. Peter says, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Uh, Peter goes... Well, I've obeyed the commandments like this rich guy, but, but when, where he failed and not giving up his stuff, I've succeeded. Uh, see Peter's thought process? He's, he's watched Jesus lay down all the requirements to gain eternal life with this rich young man, uh, but in Peter's estimation, he actually measures up. He, he has given up everything to follow Jesus. Uh, Peter hasn't got the point that Jesus was making 
with this rich young man. Have a look at verse uh, 24 to 26 with me. Uh, Jesus says, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. The whole point of what Jesus has been saying is that no one is good enough to earn their way into eternal life. Only by God's gracious gift can a person enter eternal life. But Peter still doesn't get it. And so Jesus tells this parable. And he includes these workers who came to an agreement with the landowner to work for a denarius for the whole day on purpose. It isn't some slip-up or mistake. Uh, He includes these men who have legitimately earned their wage to make a point. And what's the point? Well, look with me at verses 10 to 15 of chapter 20. It says, And so when those who were hired... And so when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. And these who were hired last worked only one hour, they said. And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the heat of the, the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? See what happens when you earn your wage? You grow resentful of the generosity of the landowner. Here's the point Jesus is making. If you think that you have earned your salvation... If you think that you've earned eternal life, then you won't be grateful to God for it. After all, who's grateful to receive what they have legitimately earned? In fact, if you think that you've earned God's love and kindness, then you will be resentful, envious and bitter when he gives it to someone undeserving. But but here's the fact of the matter. No one deserves to enter the kingdom of heaven. With man, salvation and eternal life are impossible. But with God, all things are possible. The follower of Jesus who understands the truth can never identify themselves with the first workers, no matter how much they've done, those who earned their wage. They can only ever identify themselves with the last workers, those who did nothing to discern the gracious gift of the landowner. Because the follower of Jesus who understands the truth knows that they can do nothing to earn their salvation, nothing to contribute to it. We know that in the words of Romans 5 when we were utterly powerless, ungodly sinners, unworthy of any good thing from God, Jesus died for us, demonstrating God's free, undeserved and completely gracious love for us. This is the truth about the kingdom of heaven that the king would teach us today. 
It is all, from first to last, all by grace. So what shall we do? We've heard from our king this morning, how ought we respond? Well, if you are not part of the kingdom yet, if you have not surrendered your life to Jesus, if if you don't trust in him for true life that endures even beyond death, know this. There is nothing more that you need to do to enter the kingdom. There is nothing more you ever could do to enter the kingdom and have life. Jesus, the king, has already paid the price. He has earned the wage through his death on the cross. And he offers life in his kingdom freely, all by grace, for anyone who puts their faith in him. But if you are part of the kingdom, if if you live with Jesus as your king, if you have already turned to him for his gracious gift of life that you could never earn, don't forget where you've come from. There would be no greater tragedy than for you to live your life serving the Lord Jesus and then to get to the end and have fooled yourself into thinking that you had earned his favour and love. No greater tragedy than for you to begin to think that you deserve to have Jesus give his life for you. To believe that God's gift of his own son is a just and fair reward for all the good works you have done. Brother, sister, work hard for the Lord Jesus. Labour with all you have, with, with all he has given you for his kingdom. Serve him with every moment, every opportunity, every ounce of strength he is pleased to give you. But do not labour and strive and serve under the delusion that you are earning the eternal life to which you have been called. Serve him in love because you know that he has already loved you, already saved you, already secured eternal life for you. And when you do, when you serve him in love, you will find what so many Christians through the years have, what what Peter himself came to understand, that hard, laborious work in service of your loving King Jesus is not oppressive, burdensome servitude, but rather joyous, life-bringing freedom. Well, let's pray. Father, thank you that your kingdom is not like the kingdoms of this world, that our reward is not based on what we have done, but wholly on what Jesus has done for us. Help us, we pray, to serve you rightly. Forgive us for when we we become proud and entitled. Set our eyes on the glorious truth that all we have, your certain gift of eternal life, is all completely and only by your grace. Amen.